Welcome to Hunter's Quest Podcast. My name is Hunter, but this is our quest. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Hunter's Quest Podcast. I am your host, and yes, my name is Hunter. And this episode is part two of our Alaskan DIY caribou adventure. Uh, Back with my buddy and hunting partner, Ned. And on this one, we really recap the trip itself, um, kind of some of the strategies, the logistics, um, and uh, how we actually did the hunt and how it all went down. And as always, I'm happy to answer any questions you guys have. If you have specific questions about a trip to Alaska or gear or uh, the logistics of getting there and back, uh, anything like that, I'd be happy to answer. You can DM me at huntersquest underscore on Instagram or email me at hunter at this is huntersquest.com. All right, stick around and enjoy the episode. Just in general, but anyway, we're going to get into just recapping this hunt a little bit. So we're looking at some pictures as we go. I'm going to post all these pictures on Instagram when this episode releases. But uh, one thing we did, which was ended up being a great call. Uh, Huey. Yeah, Huey is what we <laughs> named our our, uh, our vehicle, which was actually a, um, a U-Haul van. Uh, you know, we had researched four-wheel drives, pickups, all this stuff, because we were driving from Fairbanks almost all the way to Eagle on some um, decent, but not paved roads and the the truck rentals were going to be around like three four grand or something and so we ended up going with a u-haul van which worked out really great it was 20 bucks a day or at least it says 1995 on the side of it <laughs> it ended up being a little little more than that because yeah. of the mileage that we put right. on it and but everything it was a steal compared to the four thousand dollar rental of a pickup truck it's it's the only way to go man yeah it was it was perfect and then we stayed in a um Airbnb in Toke. In Toke. That's right. Yep. And that was that was nice. Just kind of took our time. I I definitely I will say I think that part of our planning was spot on. Taking like our time, taking a full day in Fairbanks when we arrived to get fully provisioned. Make sure we had absolutely everything that we needed. I got a new sleeping bag, which was came in crucial. And and then taking like the last half of that day just to get down in within striking distance basically of where we were actually going to be hunting yeah um right so we drove from fairbanks to toke yep and then toke was relatively close to where we wanted to go um and we drove in we saw some cool stuff saw some moose on the road you know had a little uh little snack um we saw a lot of moose on the road actually saw a bunch of moose man Yeah. yeah and so we went to was called the controlled use area and the reason we did that is because many of the areas uh, well first of all we wanted to save the money and not get an air service which saved us what three grand a piece yeah, oh, yeah three grand so. a piece so i mean uh, if you're trying to do this on a budget again this hunt i'm talking about 
anybody can really do this. It wasn't that expensive, honestly. I mean, um, like I said, we didn't we didn't get an air service, which you know they are gonna arguably put you into um, probably your best case scenario. But we went all on foot, DIY, public land, and went to a controlled use area, which meant that ATVs were prohibited there. So we knew we wouldn't have to be competing basically with dudes chugging beers and bombing the herd on ATVs. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the decision making process behind that was basically you hear some of these horror stories about ATV hunting happening up there, some specific areas. Yeah. Maybe near Fairbanks. <laughs> and we just wanted to avoid that, man. Like, you know, yeah, for, for anybody listening, basically, we we wanted this trip to be like a cool opportunity to see the real Alaskan backcountry, yeah. not the kind of experience where you're getting woken up at 5 a.m. Yeah. By dudes ripping around your campsite in a bunch of ATVs yeah. and, you know, just feels like a backcountry off-road vehicle parking lot the whole time. Like yeah. we, we didn't want to do that. So we went to one of the controlled use areas and it also, you know, for non-residents who don't have a four by four, it kind of evens the playing field yeah. a little bit for you. Cause everybody has to walk in. Yeah, and it was it was awesome. The first day walking in, the weather was amazing. I was wearing a short sleeve shirt, and uh, we had good weather. Honestly, we did, we did. We got socked in a couple times, but not bad. Oh man, we got we had we had two days where the ceiling was a little bit low, yeah. and it but it would come it and rained go. some, but by and large, I think out of the whole time we were there, we probably had a day and a half of rain out of eight days. Yeah. And that is, that is just a best case scenario. For yeah. Alaska. We did have good weather. We <laughs> like did. we, we got, we got hooked up on the weather side of the house. We did. Um, so yeah, the hike in was nice. And so like Ned said earlier, we were about a third of the way in, maybe half of the way in. And I see Ned drop down and there's this, I mean, in my opinion, nice bull, like sprinting. Oh, no, that, that was a nice bull. Yeah, like sprinting <laughs> that, 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 one, that one was a shooter all day long, oh, my yeah. dude. <laughs> yeah, and he was sprinting at us. I got a video of it. Um, I don't know. We, we probably should have taken that as a bad omen that he was like quickly evacuating the area. But ah, man, <laughs> nah. caribou, caribou are so high. They yeah. <laughs> don't have any idea what they're doing. They're crazy they just, magical unicorns. They just... Uh, I forget who the writer is, but there's one of those uh, like Alaska adventure writers who says that caribou blow about the landscape like banks of fog. Yeah. And that is exactly right. They just like show up out of nowhere. You'd be, you know, watching nothing like we were for a few days. And then next day they're there <laughs> just covered, man. Yeah. And we were waiting for that. But anyway, we, we found, uh, so yeah, I, I, I don't take that guy running away as nah. a, as a bad sign. Nah. It was, it was super cool to no, see an a animal, a nice animal like that 80 yards away, man. That was it badass. Was. He was sprinting. And he, he would have been, uh, he would have been <laughs> down for the count for sure. If it had oh, been yeah. 24 hours later. Right. So uh, yeah, to clarify the reason we didn't shoot, it was the day before the opener. So <laughs> we weren't able to try anything on him, but uh, anyway, we, we, we kept going and found a nice little spot. We had really great visibility on this little shelf, kind of, where we could walk this sort of like 
little circuit around this shelf and kind of see in all directions pretty well. Nice glassing ridge, probably 100 yards away from camp. Mm -hmm. Camp protected from the prevailing winds. Um, good water sources all around. Yeah. I mean, truly, that campsite was pretty badass. No, it was I a really mean, good spot. There, there were, I guess, are a few things that could possibly be improved on like you had a little bit of a hike to get the water and it did get a little windy there yeah but i mean generally the, the wind was broken from the worst part that we would have gotten if we yeah. had uh, if we had been in one of the other campsites that we'd talked about and you know it was like a five minute hike to go get water not bad at all yeah not bad at all and it was it was a great spot um really beautiful yeah um, and like i said like I'm not exaggerating. You could not walk more than three steps without seeing either a track or a pile of uh, caribou droppings. Like it was just sign everywhere. That was that was that still is the densest game animal sign that I was thinking about that all season this year, honey. Yeah, that was the densest game animal sign of anywhere that I've ever been of any kind. It, the herd <laughs> must like, have just been just there. Yeah, like and they, you know they talk about right now the forty mile herd being like overpopulation objectives basically over its carrying capacity and like you could see it yeah, yeah that appears to be the case yeah verified on the ground because it it must have been like the locals we stopped and talked with a few guys who live in one of the towns close by and they were like yeah man last week shoot you would have had trouble driving a car down this road because yeah. there were so many caribou and like you hear that and you're kind of like all right you know locals pulling our leg but then you get back there and you see the amount of sign that we saw oh yeah it, it would have been like a real nat geo status phenomenon oh, yeah. if you had been there at the time when those animals were migrating through it would have yeah. been absolutely wild and there was evidence of wolf kills and it, was, yeah. it would have been sick to have been there when they moved through oh yeah and uh you know again to uh <laughs> to get ahead of myself here i did see a wolf yeah right where we were yeah uh, pretty close too. Got within 200 yards of him. Didn't have a tag, but oh dang, I did, but I was gone. Yeah, and honestly, <laughs> I don't think I'd probably shoot a yeah. wolf anyway. I just like looking at him. So yeah, we spent, I guess, like three days back there. We were like what, like five miles in ish. We're uh, so linear distance was about five miles, so you could call it six ish over yeah. a little over six. We did go pretty straight. Yeah. Uh, as, I mean, we, we did a great we, job. We were pretty close it. to the a straight line from at least the end of the established trailhead to where we went. Yeah. At the expense of having to do some side hilling, but I still think that that was the right call because it saved us a ton of elevation. Yeah. And really, you know, it got a little western there on some of the scree, but I mean, it was. Right. Yeah, we. That was about as direct as you can get going six miles over the ground yeah. to where we were. And like I said, Ned is a mountain goat, part mountain goat. But for you guys who aren't like me, I brought trekking poles. And just as a gear note, I personally recommend them. Ned did not have them. I, I saved myself from falling on that scree several, multiple times with those trekking poles. So, you know, some guys don't like them or whatever. I personally would recommend them because they kept me from busting my face a bunch of times. Also, I'm looking at a picture right now. I invested in a nice pair of puffies, top and bottom, down type puffy uh, pants and jacket. 
And even though we were there in August, I wore those things quite a bit. If you're like me and you're kind of from the South and you get cold easily, I would highly consider uh, investing in some good puffies to wear something light and packable. Mine happen to be Kuyu. They pack down really nice and they're light and they're very warm. So I would invest in that if I were you. A really great way for your Alaska trip to suck is spending all night just shivering. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, I mean, you had better... a couple cold nights, didn't you? Uh, yeah, a little bit. So, uh, just a little backstory on that. I, uh, <laughs> I had lent Hunter, uh, a bag that I had that I was like, 90% sure was a 20 degree bag as it turns <laughs> out that was a 30 degree bag and I kind of went against my own advice there about like put your hands on and verify every piece of your gear um I should have I should have been like hey man you want to check and make sure but I yeah. I didn't and so basically I ended up taking that bag Hunter got a nice 20 degree bag yep. in Fairbanks in town presciently and uh yeah bucks. I got it, Honestly, where we were, the first spot where we were, I didn't really like yeah. it got down into the high thirties yeah. probably. Um, and for anybody listening, uh, sleeping bag manufacturers will say that it is a 30 degree bag. What they mean by that is that you will survive a night <laughs> you will at not 30 degrees. You will not be comfortable. A 30 degree bag. You don't really want to take it any lower than 40. So if you like Alaska, August, this is a topic that just gets beaten to death all the time. But if you're going to Alaska in August, especially interior Alaska, I highly recommend a 20. Yeah. Hunter had a 20 and he was nice and toasty. Yeah. The second spot we went, there were a few nights where I could have been warmer, yeah. to put it lightly. I did let you borrow my puffy pants a couple times. <laughs> yeah. Yo, I snagged him, man. Yeah. I was like, I like, I saw that temperature dropping. Oh yeah. And I was like, dude, I, if you're not using them, Oh yeah. I will cop. <laughs> I was, I was nice and snuggly in my little bag in there, but yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, we had a, you know, we had fun the whole time, but we didn't see anything for a day or two. Nothing to, to, to clarify what Hunter means by that. We saw, literally nothing alive yeah. like no no pika uh, i may have seen a pika a pika maybe like the um Uh-oh. basically small rodents yeah, yeah, that yeah. uh that i saw no mammal Arctic. life form yeah, i'm all. trying to remember if i did anyway nothing yeah, alive nothing. for three days we were in this awesome habitat we didn't Amazing. like we didn't like glass any cows in the distance not a thing didn't see any calves didn't see like any outlines 10 miles away that might have been a herd <laughs> and we nothing we, we put in work too like we didn't just stay on our little shelf like we would make some oh. little trips out like several miles your and, boy was putting it <laughs> yeah I, I went on some forays that in hindsight probably didn't really achieve very much except putting more wear on my feet yeah <laughs> and like you got to ration that yeah. on these backcountry trips when you get into a sweet area like the, the phrase that you always hear is let your glass do the walking. Yeah. And that is very smart to an extent. Like it was, it was cool to go around and see these places that I packed into. Um, you know, I, I would just say like, Hey Hunter, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go on a little walk, see what I can find. And yeah, you gain a little bit of different situational awareness about the area you're in. Yeah. Um, you get to see some different angles, which could expose like a herd of animals that you might not be able to see from your right. glass and knob. 
but it didn't end up making a difference in this case. And like I said, really all that was achieved was putting more wear on yeah. myself, which I, is good to have in reserve if you did see a herd of animals that you need to make a play on far away. Yeah. And I, I think you only we only separated like one time. Um, and that was probably because I, I, I think was, you're right. Yeah. I was literally saving my feet there. So after the hike in, I noticed like, my feet weren't like totally blistered yet on the heels, but like it was getting to the point where I was like, I had to go into preservation mode if I was yeah. going to like make it like the whole time. So I literally hunted the entire second day in Crocs and gators. <laughs> I'm in that. like Alaska hunting in Crocs, <laughs> but Hey, shout out to Crocs. They, uh, they saved me. So, um, bring your Crocs. <laughs> oh no, that's, that is a no BS point. You got to have a good pair of camp yeah. shoes to let your feet air out. Absolutely. I'm a flip-flop kind of guy. Uh, hunters Crocs appeared to be pretty versatile in me. an all-terrain environment. They saved me, but that that's another highly underrated piece of gear. Yes. I, I mean, I know some guys who say like, nah, I won't take the weight. Dude, you can get a pair of flip-flops that weighs yeah. like an ounce or two yeah same with the crocs you just or the crocs yeah, are basically like 90 percent air yeah i mean you got to have some kind of camp footwear you to, to let your feet air out you got to um and you don't have to put your boots on and off every single time you get in the tent anyway but anyway so then i think second or third morning we got a little morale boost we actually did pack in this little like 410 22 combo that ned uh named the tarmagat because we knew there might be some uh, ptarmigan in there. And um, Ned was able to to uh, secure us a ptarmigan, and that thing was delicious. Ptarmigan are just a gift from God, man. It was so good. It was delicious. Even though it was just a, like, a little bird, like after days of not seeing anything, it was definitely like a morale boost like to get some blood on our hands somehow. Oh, and the, the ptarmigat's weight was justified. Uh, yeah, exactly, yeah. Because <laughs> that thing was not light. Yeah, it wasn't light, but I mean, dude, and especially where we're going to be in Kodiak, I have not been to the part where we are going. Don't want to, you know, put too much information uh, out there necessarily, but word on the street <laughs> is that it'll be worth taking the Tarmagat oh, for yeah. another few walks. Oh, dude, especially if we're if we're drop camping. Oh, yeah, we could. It's kind of part of, like, enjoying the experience holistically. Absolutely. You know, like, it, it's great to stay frontside focused and be, like, all about achieving success and everything. But stopping and smelling the roses along the way will help you with your backcountry longevity. Absolutely. You know, if you're having a good time along the way and, like, oh, sweet, shot some ptarmigan, or if you're in an area where there's good fishing, oh, caught a bunch of dolly varden. Um, as it pertains to Alaska, but you know, same thing can be done with any kind of Western hunt. You know, there's, Absolutely. there's a lot of other stuff, whether you're taking cool pictures or anything like that. Like there's diversions. If you're on a backcountry trip like this, where you're going to be spending some time, you know, it's, it's really good to, you know, kind of keep your sanity level up, keep Absolutely. morale up. Enjoy uh, yourself. Yeah. Don't so. go so hardcore. that like, you're not enjoying yourself. Yeah. Like if you're only fixated like if the only fixation is on punching the tag, then that's yeah, yeah. not going to have a good time in my experience. And then, you know, if you don't punch your tag, then you just wasted a lot of cool opportunities for fun. Um, but anyway, we, uh, we dressed that ptarmigan out and we cooked that sucker up. I'll post some pictures and man, it was really good. And we just, we just enjoyed that. And, uh, so that was a good memory. They're just, man, I guess for ptarmigan, uh, I would have to say, like, 
I would I would have to say that it's maybe halfway between venison and chicken. Yeah. Like the taste of ptarmigan is pretty tough to describe. It's all dark meat, but it is just I mean, I will be on those things like a tornado on a trailer park. Oh dude. This August. We'll if, be stacking. If we got my goal room. my goal is for every mountain house that we eat to be <laughs> augmented with ptarmigan. Dude, I mean if we got room and like weight Dude, I'll take a, I'll take my own Tarmogat and just go, oh. for, go to town, dude. Send it. <laughs> um, so anyway, so after that, after three days of literally seeing not one single mammal, uh, we decided, you know what? Um, let's 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 consider our options and let's you know go for Koa B. Man, that was the that was the toughest decision point of the trip. It was honestly because like. You always hear with caribou hunting, like, if you get to a good area, you know, you just got to wait. And, like, you can, like you hear uh, with these air transport services, you hear about a lot of people calling up and being like, hey, we need to move, because a lot of transporters will offer a move if you're not seeing anything. And the transporter will get there and be like, hey, I just spooked a huge herd of them flying in. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and th- they don't really spook in the sense that, like, whitetail hunters in the East think of it. Right. But, like, you know, a-, a lot of times, if you just sit tight yeah. and keep your stuff wired tight and you're in a good area, you just got to give them time and they'll show. Yeah. You know, very migratory. They just kind of blow around. So that's what we were thinking. We were just weighing this call. We were like, man, if we leave the day after we leave, they're just going to be running through this place but ultimately i mean you refresh my memory on this but like ultimately i think it was pretty much like we haven't seen anything yeah since that first bull on the way in yeah like not a peep man yeah it was it it was the right call i I, it was i molded over my head a lot but it was was, hard it it was was, hard because like we were sitting there thinking we were like dude like this this is this is the mountain caribou habitat yeah (laughs) <laughs> like and we're like we could wake up tomorrow and they're just there. I, well, we still we could be driving out and just see yeah. like. Oh, God. I mean, for all we know, they were there the day after we left. We don't know. <laughs> but anyway, we did uh, decide the sporting thing to do was to to go to Koa B, which um, actually was kind of fun. Like on, in retrospect, just like kind of scrambling, freaking out. Like, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? And like, and like on this kind of hunt, you gotta, you gotta use everything that you have going for you. And in this instance, like we didn't have any set schedule. We weren't waiting for anybody to like pick us up or anything. Like we could just pack up and go wherever the hell we wanted. So we were like, screw it, dude. We're going to see some new terrain. Yep. And so we we packed up for Coa Bravo. Yep. And so, but to make the decision even harder, as we're driving out, we, we, we pack up camp, hit the weather window uh bust out of there a pretty good clip um with our packs get back to the u-haul and as we're oh, driving out we we gotta we gotta hit that that weather window we time i mean it was you nice. know no matter whether you're religious or not we time that miraculously <laughs> i mean we had been we had been our tents were putting out for the team hard i mean we were just oh, in, yeah it was it was a downpour there yeah. for probably twelve hours with no end in sight, and then I remember just I remember just looking out and being like, "Dude, I think we've got enough to get back to the trailhead." Yeah, and we were like, "Screw it, dude, we're doing it. Break everything down, throw it in the packs, 
you know, yeah. it's all wet, but whatever. We'll dry it out in the van and then just booked it back. And yeah. then after we got back, it started raining. Yeah. And we, by the skin of our teeth, dude. While we're there, I do also just gear wise, I was running a uh, big Agnes copper spur um, UL tent, very light. And it held up amazingly, kept me very dry. I had a really nice vestibule to keep my gear under. You were running a Nemo Hornet. I think you liked that one too, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. My uh, So a lot of different thoughts on like backcountry sleep systems the guys have. Um, but yeah, like that Nemo one-person ultralight like backpacking tent did a pretty good job. And, you know, I'm a smaller guy. Like yeah. I'm 5'8", 160. So that one person tent that a lot of people think is not satisfactory space for like a big dude. Yeah. That's just a way for me to save like another few ounces in my yeah. pack. I mean, mine was, I'm, I'm about six foot even and stockier kind of build. So, but I had plenty of room in my uh, big Agnes and like I said, kept me dry and I was really, Especially for how light that thing is, man. I was really satisfied with that tent. I liked it that, a lot. That goes back to the checking your gear before you go yeah. to be sure. You definitely want to get nice and familiar. Make sure that your tent and, – and you can't just picture it as like in our case. Oh, sweet. I'm in a campsite in you know Shenandoah National Park in right. Virginia. You got to be looking and be like, okay – when I have an Arctic gale happening yeah. on the tundra of interior Alaska, like, is this vestibule going to be enough space to keep my gear dry? Yeah. You know, guy lines. Are there enough guy lines on yes. this that, like, if there is a 50-mile-an-hour sleet-rain mix yeah. just pressure-washing the side of this tent, like, is it going to be able to hold up? Because I've never seen it happen, but there have been a lot of stories I've heard of guys having their tents collapse on them. Oh, yeah. That <laughs> and, like, that is a real quick way to yeah. just be having a party. And one thing you told me that was a good tip, uh, my the Big Agnes one did come with enough stakes, but make sure you have a stake for all your guidelines. Some of the, guidelines, some of the ultralight tents will not give you stakes for all the guidelines, but yeah. you should put them out. So you might have to throw a few stakes in. And I stacked some rocks on top of my stakes just for safety i don't know if it did anything but it gave me some peace of mind an extra extra stake or two is always a good idea yeah it? for sure so um yeah, you might lose one too but then anyway as we getting out of there we're driving out and we kind of were talking to some locals that were there and we we, we rolled up on this really just haggard couple of good guys like two guys and a girl and they looked like they were like completely stoned out of their mind and like just had been <laughs> sleeping for four days straight or something yeah, they, and they had getting into some stuff yeah and, the, and they had this like nice shooter bull caribou head that was just like unceremoniously just chopped off and like laying on the trailer of their like rig and we're like what i, w I will be very clear that as much as as unjust as that seemed at the time uh, the clarification is that they were outside of the controlled use area and they were using ATVs. Okay. So yeah. they told us like, oh yeah, we shot it like 50 yards over that way. Yeah. Like, you know, within a stone's throw of the road. Yeah. And I don't know whether that was correct or whether that was them just kind of being like, all right, non-residents, send right. your yeah. QE, see you later. <laughs> yeah. They could have just ridden their four by four around True. until and they, they found a lost bull and whacked. They looked so possible. confused when we stopped. They were like, 
like they'd never spoken to another human being. They're like, huh? And like, where I was, I was like, where'd you, like, where'd you see him? And they're like, Ugh, they were in the bushes. <laughs> well, I anyway, mean, I'm not hating on him. It was just really funny because yeah, the, the guy was, the guy was maybe a little surprised that we were, were so starting confused. a conversation. But at that point, we'd been looking for caribou for three days, and the first one since our, you know, infill bowl was that decapitated head on the yeah. side of the road which was so, really close to where we were so of course we're gonna be like hey man like that's an awesome bull congrats yeah <laughs> and then we we second guessed ourselves well we just that kind of threw a loop in our plans because we were booking it out of there but then we're like ah, i don't know so then we actually took the advice of this other really nice local guy that we met who who, who was really cool and and we just said, you know what, let's give it one more shot out here. So we did hike into another spot a few miles away and kind of glassed for a few hours and just hung out there and nothing doing and decided to just continue on our on our uh, our first plan, which was to relocate. Yeah, you when when you're in the middle of nowhere, like this highway that we were in, you know, there's no civilization for hours either direction. It's just kind of like when you pass people usually roll down the window and just like hey man what's up yeah how you doing you know it's yeah. that that's pretty much the way that we were getting this information from all of these local guys pretty much just see them like hey what's up yeah and yeah we talked with this one guy and he was like oh man you go up to that ridge right there and sit for the afternoon you're gonna see him yeah. and we were like mm, he might well, know what he's talking about <laughs> he might know something that we don't yeah. and those people over there did kill one right. pretty recently so yeah you know use local knowledge if you can and again i wasn't maybe i was a little hard on those guys before i wasn't trying to hate on the locals the alaskan locals are awesome and they were super helpful and no, nice th those, to us. those guys were very disheveled yeah they, <laughs> they were they, they it, was, were, it was just comical <laughs> it was comical. There, there's no way to deny that and it was funny we were I, like we literally rolled down the window and i was like hey guys congrats that's a nice bull and he the just guy, grunted the guy like communicated in the way he that like, like humans five thousand years ago would have communicated yeah he was, was like, really confused and he was I think he, he was caught off guard it was funny yeah he they literally shot a grunted. nice bull man he literally grunted when we said something <laughs> um but yeah not trying to hit on the locals it was just a funny situation those are the first humans we'd seen in days and it was just like <laughs> uh, but anyway so after that we're heading out, you know, munching wild blueberries everywhere as we go. It's another perk of Alaska. Oh, we, we do have to hit that, man. Yeah. August, if you do, if you do a hunt in Interior Alaska in August, I mean that was a substantial amount of the at least fresh part of our diet. Like oh, yeah. I, I always pack in carrots. Like carrots keep really well. That's yeah. that's kind of uh, a little bit of a micronutrient sink that you can pack in. But dude, Alaska, Interior Alaska especially, and uh, where we're going to be in August too, uh, just so many blueberries oh, that yeah. it is it is enough to be like nutritionally significant. Yeah, like you could stop pretty much anywhere, get down and pick up a hand like a large handful of blueberries just in like wild thirty blueberries, seconds. Man, just everywhere, all over the place. Uh, so that was really cool. Pretty sick. Um, and then Ned took a shower in a freezing cold stream. I have pictures. <laughs> it's hilarious. Um, I, great, man. I'm a dirt bag and I'm completely comfortable not showering for a week. No problem. So I, I abstained from the ice cold water, but Ned had a little good bath. The swick training probably came in handy there. Yeah. That was, that was like around my one year anniversary of, uh, <laughs> of being out of the military. So yeah, perfect. I just had to throw it back to some old school misery, man. <laughs> um, and then, so we head back to Toke and you know, our stuff is kind of 
from that one little jaunt from the local knowledge, uh, you know, our stuff's kind of disheveled because you had to quickly shift from your pack being in like camp for days mode into like quick little um, little jaunt like into the into the hills for a couple hours mode. So my stuff was completely everywhere, um, and so we yeah, so we head back to Toke and we were pretty tired. I think we got a like. Yeah, we went to this little. What was that pizza place called? Do you remember? Oh man, I Eddie's forget. or something. I don't know. Anyway, it's like Fast Eddie's. Yeah, Fast Eddie's. Fast Eddie's, dude. They have some super fire fried halibut. Yeah, that had some amazing fried halibut. I crushed like a massive pizza that was awesome. That's that's one of the things that you'll notice just about like very obvious differences between the way that you normally live your life and like <laughs> the way that things are when you've been in the backcountry for a while, like. Your metabolism will just go crazy. I mean, we probably we probably ate a two thousand calorie meal oh, easy. and and just easy. Oh, I mean, yeah. you're just so hungry. It's just like it's just like a totally different environment, you know. Yeah, man. I mean, we've been in heavily caloric deficit for days, and um, it's like your first meal where you can be like, you know. I think I I think I will actually have more water. Yeah, I'm not about to run out of filtered water. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I uh, maybe I will have another roll rather than like shaking the bag of trail mix you have and be like, oh, if I have some now. It might not last me three more days. Yeah. It, it's yeah. I mean, spending like significant time in the backcountry is like an experience, like physically that like and mentally and mentally, but like it's something that like in the moment can be kind of sometimes not that fun because it's you know you're not suffering is a hard word but it's uh, it's challenging but it's something that you definitely need to experience in your life even if you don't want to go all in and you know do a backpack trip every year it's something you should experience as a hunter at some point it's 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 just awesome you can't really there's nothing else that really compares Dude, suffering is the right word, though. You definitely <laughs> yeah. like you definitely are at a place of physical discomfort, and a lot of times that a, a lot of people probably like never get yeah. to experience. But paradoxically, it also kind of takes you into a different mindset. Yeah, and I mean, I don't yeah, know all I these remember... all these all these studies about like time spent in green space being correlated with serotonin and dopamine levels, like. For me, I know that's true, man. I just, like, I can't wipe the smile off my face when I'm back there, even if it is 35 degrees, yeah. raining sideways, and you haven't seen anything in a few days. It's just, like, it takes you so far out of your comfort zone into just a different headspace Yeah. that, yeah, like, the physical misery is kind of part of that. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it's, for me, it's a spiritual thing of um, of connecting. I connect with God, you know, through nature, and it's it's healing for me. I mean, you were saying going to a different headspace. And I remember my feet, you know, like I said, I was sort of in preservation mode from day one. Cause the pack in, I, my feet got rubbed like too much. Um, and they were blistering. I remember I was, I, now I just remembered I was, um, I was taping and bandaging my feet every day and like really had to be very conscious of it. Um, because I didn't want to get to that like really bad point of no return. I was trying to be pre uh, preventative, you know, but I do remember, you know, towards the end of our time, I think it was like one of the last days we, you know, I was really tired. Um, but I think it was our last full day. And Ned was like, Hey, you know, I'm going to go, I think I saw some, and we'll get to this later, but I saw some way off on this other Ridge and 
you want to come? And I was like, yep, let's do it. Like, and I was just like, I didn't really, I don't know. I was tired, but I was like, I'm not going to sit in my tent. Like this is our last day I'm going. And I remember like, I even said something to Ned. I was like, you know, my feet hurt, but like, I just realized like, I don't care. I'm just going to keep walking. Dude. And right now in this moment, like four, whatever, almost five months later, I'm super glad that we took that hike oh yeah that was because that was sick yeah totally i mean we yeah i think we saw some that we basically saw some cows and calves so we didn't end up seeing anything we could make a play on but we got to take a badass hike through some more incredible scenery see some more animals um yeah yeah that was a hundred percent worth it making that call absolutely and like i remember just from my perspective like you know, like I said, this is my first mountain hunting experience. And like, there are a couple times where like when we relocated, we'll get into this, but the first initial ascent into this new area was like pretty daunting looking. Like, I don't know how high it was, but it was steep. And like, and that was just like, yeah, we're going to charge it. And I was like, wait, really? Like, <laughs> we're going to walk up that with packs. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, all right, here we go. Oh, and like, dude. yeah, I saw that from the road. I was like, all right, <laughs> all um, aboard the pain train. Um, but yeah, I remember like there's a few times where, and this is another time where it's good to have like a partner with you because, um, there are a few things that I remember looking at and being like, I can't do that. Like I'm, I, I can't do that or I don't want to do that. Um, and if I had been alone, I probably wouldn't have. Um, but I'm so glad that we did going back. It's like, I just learned so much about myself and like what I'm capable of as a person. If you just look at the positive of it and just kind of go for it, you know? Oh yeah. You're, you're capable of so much more than you think you are. I think, you know, your brain is designed to save you. It's going to want to tell you, uh, when you're about 60% done that you're done, but you always got that other 40% because that's what your brain's designed to do. Dude, and like that initial ascent that you're talking about uh, at the location of Koa B, like I knew that was gonna suck, man. That was that was basically just like fiddle fiddle right up the middle for probably two thousand feet of yeah. pretty steep elevation in tundra, which for the listeners out there who haven't experienced it, tundra is. It's kind of like walking on a sponge that is the size of that part of Alaska, maybe like the state of Missouri. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's like it's like Your at fifty percent saturation capacity. So when you like when you take a step up, you probably go like seventy percent of a step up. Yeah, because like thirty percent, you're just sinking back down. I would say you sink tundra. four to six inches easily every yeah. time you put your foot down. Yeah, so it's like. <laughs> it's weird it's it's a hell of a workout yeah. but uh and then you add a 70 pound pack on or you know, 50 yeah. to 70 pound pack it, it's it's a little sporty but like you know we knew that that was a good area actually as soon as we pulled up we saw some caribou yeah running right over the ridge that we were talking about making our way past so i was like hell yeah dude yeah absolutely charging this right now and it's like you know we just took our time yeah. to remember what I said. We're in low mode, man. Yeah. We're just, just taking it here. nice and slow and easy. And yeah. it took us a little while. Stopped it wasn't and that bad. I mean, had a few blueberry breaks, but yeah. it wasn't that bad. No, it was, it, it was kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so we're heading to Koa B. All our stuff is literally strewn about the back of the U-Haul. And for some reason, I don't know why, but this sticks out as kind of like a fun moment for me because we're just in like this, 
I don't know, it's this weird headspace you get in where it's like you're just trying everything to make it work and like you're you're you know, you're scouring maps, you're asking locals, you're um, just doing everything you know to do and it's kind of fun like looking back and even in the moment it's kind of fun but um we're bombing down the highway heading to our second location and i'm literally in the back of the u-haul like having to repack all my gear um that's just thrown everywhere to get ready to you know do another uh pack in and then as soon as i was done was traded off with ned and he had to do the same thing to pack all his gear up gotta get that gear dry there's there's moments when you can, man. You gotta yeah. take advantage. So anyway, so we made it there. Like Ned said, we we literally saw a couple caribou like from the car as we like as we out. were pulling our packs out. Yeah, I saw just a little bit of movement up on this ridge, and I was like, "Oh, dude, I know what that is." Pulled my binos out, threw them on, bam, cow and two calves. Yeah, I was like, "Yep." We and we were like at that point we were determining whether we were gonna hit that exact ridge or another one that yeah. I had identified that was like you know, a few miles further, but it was like, dude, you got live animals. You got good looking terrain. Yeah. It was more than we'd seen in days. So yeah. we went up there, um, you know, we, we busted, you know, we worked pretty hard to get up this, this mountain. And as soon as we go up there, you look over to the right and there's like two dudes on ATVs. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's a little disheartening, uh, to say the least. Yeah. It, man, like we had satellite scouted this area, use satellite imagery from like four different uh resources and like every single one of them had shown like there are no atv trails yeah. on this specific ridge and it was like okay well that's as good as we know how to do so we got up there and according to the game warden we talked to you know i'm not a lawyer i don't know the regs as well as those guys do but that game warden said that you're not supposed to drive your atv off trails and i mean this was very clearly in violation of that if it is a regulation oh yeah they were everywhere these guys were just bombing all over the place and so like yeah we do this ascent you know beat our ass for i mean the however many time in a week and finally get to the top of this thing and yeah like hunter said there's just a bunch of dudes just sitting up there chilling i think one (laughs) of them was drinking a beer yeah and And then just like sitting on their atv we're like oh god yeah all right whatever this is the middle of the week and then we we circle that ridge get around to another kind of a basin and we we think all right we're getting to some like more remote type area and again look over (laughs) there's like three dudes dudes on an atv more dudes um, which is, you know, the reason we went to the first spot again with us to not. And and to back. be clear, that sentence that Hunter just said about like circle around a ridge, get to another basin, is like a dozen words or whatever describing a two to three mile backcountry hike yeah. that took hours. Yeah. That's like a very very short synopsis of a lot of exertion of effort. Yeah. Side hilling again, yeah. across more scree, like going through this stuff. We were like, dude. I mean, maybe these guys could get over the top of this with ATVs, but like we went through some seriously gnarly territory that it would be like very dangerous to take any kind of vehicle yeah. through. And still, we would get on the other side, and these guys would just like wave to us from their <laughs> ATV with their cooler and their kids and yeah. stuff. And we're like, all right, like well. using their rifle scopes to, to glass. <laughs> we did. We did see that a few times. We uh, we saw guys like checking objects out with rifle yeah. scopes which is bring some blaze maybe if you're going to 
certain high pressured areas near Fairbanks. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we found again. Um, real, real quick note yeah. on that. So for everybody listening, Alaska does not require blaze orange for hunting during general firearm seasons. Uh, but if you, yeah, like Hunter said, specific areas, it's a good idea to just bring it voluntarily and just have yeah. it say, I am, I'm not a caribou <laughs> for sure. Especially if you're packing out a few sheds like we were. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so we did find a really cool, another really cool shelf. It was like a, a shelf with a ridge behind us. And then it went down to another shelf. It was some really good visibility. And at the time we did not see any ATVs. Um, no, so that was, that was a great spot. It was a good spot. It I mean, spot. just there's like our, our site selection for the areas we camped. I have to give like a nine out of 10. Like we found yeah. awesome spots yeah. everywhere we went. And a lot of that came down to e-scouting. Ned did a lot of good work e-scouting. Um, well, also a lot of that was luck. Because, <laughs> yeah. like, the e-scouting only gets you so far. We just happened to get into areas that were, like, really badass habitat. Yeah, for sure. Um, so then we're there. Man, we got camp set up. We were not there long, and we saw – I think I actually looked over – no, Ned's, you spotted him. Yeah, dude. Ned spotted most of the game, but I'll take credit for this one. No, you spotted. I him. looked over and I we yeah we saw a cow and a calf running right behind our camp, probably I don't know, 80, 100 yards. Yeah, 80, 100 yards. Yeah. And oh man, we went like go mode, dude, because <laughs> we hadn't seen anything alive in days. And so we you know we kind of got in position, but again, you can't kill uh, calves or you can't kill cows as a non-resident. Um, something to know, um, which what played into our trip a little bit later as well. But, um, but yeah, it was just great to see some animals finally, you know, it was great morale boost. Yeah. So like, uh, if you're listening to this and considering doing this trip, I encourage you to check out some of the pictures that Hunter's going to post because they give kind of a, a visual hard point for what we're talking about. I mean, at both of these locations where we were camped, it is not an exaggeration to say that you could see 10 miles oh, yeah. in any direction. Like, like you, there's so much territory out there to glass and <laughs> like to, to circle back to Hunter, what Hunter's saying here, like we had spent so much time glassing like thousands of acres of territory for days and just not seeing anything. And then we got two of them trotting like, you know, <laughs> an iron right sight shot camp. from camp, yeah. like, you know, easy. So we were feeling was, good, man. It was, it was really cool. It was kind of what I was saying about, you got to be able to just enjoy the experience. Like that was a big morale boost. Yeah. Just seeing those animals just trotting by us. We were like, dude, this is great. Yeah, we Not got a spot. only are, is our spot like verified, there's definitely game here, but like the crowds of other hunters are not, preventing them from moving around yeah like very clearly we are in an area it's good to go yeah so that was that was huge man yeah when you spotted those two that was a big boost in the yeah, morale man. so yeah then we we hung out there kind of watching where they came from for a while didn't see any more uh i think me and ned kind of split up a little bit he was glass on the other side of this knob i was sort of over there keeping an eye on where those two came from and then um and then i don't know i I guess I got to the point. It was almost like a runner's high or something. I was like, I just got to the point where I was like, I didn't care anymore about like my feet hurting or being tired. I was just like, I'm just going to enjoy this. I got some cool pictures here. I was just kind of enjoying myself. And then I decided, you know what? I'm going to go, I'm going to go up this ridge. that's behind us. And I think I looked at Onyx and it was like nothing crazy. I think it was like 500 feet more. 
but we'd already packed in significantly far that day, but I just, it was a beautiful, sunny, awesome day. And I just, I just went for it and went up on this knob. Um, I mean, I felt like I was the only human that had ever been there. Obviously I wasn't, I mean, but it was really cool. Like the sun was setting. It was, I don't know, probably 10 o'clock at night or something. We already put in a good five to seven miles and I just was like, screw it. I just went up the top of this thing and man, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I had like a religious experience up there. I mean, I was, you know, I was praying and I was, you know, worshiping honestly and singing. I was, I remember <laughs> I was literally singing like out loud. Like this is awesome. But, um, interestingly also a caribou ran between us at that time. Remember? Oh, well I'm going to get there. Yeah. So then <laughs> I'm coming down this thing. Oh, oh. A, a, a different one. Oh, really? You're talking oh, about. Okay. Yeah. I didn't even know about that. No, I saw Hunter like bomb it up um, to just kind of give like a little description. Basically, there's like this, there's like this ridge that's going down. Pretty much all these ridges sit above this like really crazy dense boreal type forest, coniferous forest. Yeah. So like the floor of all these valleys is just covered in this really thick forest that would be like almost impenetrable so it's kind of weird it's almost like looking off a cliff like down into yeah. just like when you <laughs> like like nothing you know it's like a star wars character look, looking off a ship into space it's wild <laughs> and uh so we had this ridge that we were looking down surrounded on three sides by this forest and hunter was just like yeah i'm gonna bomb it up to the top of this thing get to the highest point see you know goes up there does his thing and as he's up at the top <laughs> i saw i think i'm trying to remember if it was just one cow but anyway there was one that just trotted right by where he was about where he had just That's hiked funny. up maybe know about that. 20 minutes before that <laughs> and frequently when one of them goes through somewhere you might have another one and i was just waiting <laughs> to hear a shot and see hunter just Ugh. like fist pumping up on the top if he had I whacked a bull or something that had followed that cow. It's probably good I didn't see that cow because the killer instinct might have just taken over. Nah. If you weren't there to stop me, I might have just <laughs> shot it. <laughs> but it, uh, it, I remember thinking I was actually I was looking at that thing's antlers through the binos and I was like, "Ooh, <laughs> that could be mistaken for a bull." Yeah, because uh, if you guys don't know, cows also have antlers, and um, so only cervid. Uh, I, okay, hold on. I gotta. I gotta double check my biology. No, it here. is the only deer species that both Ol that both males and females have antlers. Only cervid that both sexes have antlers. Yeah, it yeah. is. And um, so you gotta be really careful. And as a non-resident, uh, you cannot shoot a cow, and it's a fine, and you can get in trouble. So, and you wanna, you know, wanna be everything above board. So <clears throat> you don't wanna shoot a cow, but uh, that you know that factored in later. So anyway, had this awesome time on the top of this thing, and um come back down and a little calf like comes right behind me off this ridge and literally th runs through camp well, i'm talking 20 30 yards from our tents no it ran between our tents okay yeah between our tents it was in <laughs> this, camp uh, I, have, I have a sweet picture of this thing like sniffing the guy line of my tent yeah. he's like oh, what's that and then caribou caribou are very inquisitive animals yeah they they're not like like caribou have evolved in just such a weird landscape that like, even when they see a person, it's like, it's not like a white tailed deer that sees you and is like, see ya, you know, like yeah. the, uh, like the Tom and Jerry, like plume of smoke <laughs> and it's just gone off stage. Right. 
they don't really do that they like see you and they're like huh yeah what is that what is that thing that's not a fir tree uh, you know so yeah like this calf is like running through our camp they're kind of like aliens man they like this thing's jogging through our camp and it like almost trips over the guy line of our tent it's like (laughs) sniffing mountain houses and stuff hunter and i are like taking pictures of it and it's just like looking at us like Like, what What are are those things like that's weird i'm like taking a gopro it's like what's that what's a weird flashing light that's pointed (laughs) at me this thing's like 20 yards away from us yeah but then so after that experience then like i can't remember which i i can't remember which one of us saw we looked down um on our main kind of glassing area and we see a animal that looks like it might be a bull we're not really sure but um it was close enough where we need to go take a look and so you know when the adrenaline pumps in you know covering that ground fast does not seem like you're covering much ground so we we able to stalk up to this thing in rifle range um but we just couldn't tell if it was male or female man it is 10 45 at night uh so 10 45 at night on august 15th or whatever it is in interior alaska is basically like 10 minutes before the end of shooting light in the eastern united states yeah it's like it's like dusky it's like right when your depth perception of stuff is starting to equalize you know how like you put a set of decoys out in the dark and you think it's really far away. And then like three hours later, the sun comes up and you're like, Oh man, those things are like 15 yards from the blend, (laughs) you know? So it's like right in the middle there. So we like barely have enough light. Hunter and I are watching this thing, man. I've got the spotting scope on a tripod and spotting scope is like pulling just enough light. I, you know, like (laughs) we're not, for any, anybody who may have made the mistake on this podcast, we're not some high-speed outfit that's sponsored by Swarovski or anything. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got, like, my reasonable quality spotting scope, and it's it's pulling, like, enough light for me to get, you know, like, when this thing turns at different angles, I can see, like, okay, that looks bull-like, but then I look yeah. at this thing's antlers, and I'm like... Well, if that thing's body looks like that, its antlers should be bigger if it's a bull. And then I'm, like, looking at its rump patch, and I'm like, well, that kind of looks like a bull. And Hunter is set up. He's, like... He's, like, looking through the scope at this thing. He's, like... I'm, like, I can tell. He's, he's like... To give another waterfowling analogy, he's like when you've just shot birds and you've got a dog and you're holding it back by the collar <laughs> and you're like getting ready to let yeah. it go. Hunter's like ready to send it on this. He's like, dude, all let I me needed, know. literally let all I know. needed was for Ned to be like, yeah. But here's the thing, man. <laughs> last last caribou hunt that I did, uh, kind of a lot of learning points. It ended up in a. Uh, pretty sad story where guy i was hunting with shot a cow and that is just a hell of a bad feeling and we looked at that thing for a long time and like you know like the the verbiage from the alaska department of fishing game says to look for the penis sheath which is really hard to see which is hard to see and like on in that example that former example like we both looked at this thing and we were like i think that's it and like 
uh, pretty sure. And I, I, I ended up that last time. I was like, dude, I don't know. Yeah. I can't tell you, but if you think you see it, then I made the elevation call. I was like, hold three high and send it. And that <laughs> happened, and we got up to it, and they're udders, and we're like, oh, shoot. Yeah. So anyway, fast forward to this past time. Hunter and I are looking at this thing. I'm like looking through it through the spotter. I'm like, ah. it's and, and like the same images of yeah. spotting for someone on a questionable animal are flashing through my head. I'm like having PTSD flashbacks of <laughs> – I'm like, God, is that is that thing good to go? Is it? Yeah. Is it not good to go? And the little cow is with this thing. The two animals are, like, relating to each other in, like, a little mini pack, and they're, like, looking back at yeah. us. And finally, I'm like, I'm like, screw it, dude. Give me your gun real quick. And I, like, hold the thing above my head doing the, like, antler oh, yeah. the, to mimic the antlers. Yeah. That's something you could do. It. to Yeah, Hunter's trying to flag it with, like, a white patch. And, like, it did turn... And at that point, through the spotter, it was like right as that thing turned, I was like, oh, man, I am 95% sure I see testicles right now. And right after that, it took off yeah. and started running. And Hunter was like, Hunter was like, are you sure, man? And I was like, well, and I'm like thinking back through this imagery. Yeah. of, And then I started running after it. And I'm like, I think it's good. And Hunter's like, whatever, dude, I'm going. And he like bombs <laughs> off after this thing. Yeah, and kind of like the imagery that I was talking about earlier. He's like, he's like running towards the edge of the abyss. <laughs> I just see him running away. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, man. Yeah. I... I started sprinting. <sighs> but and like, you know, there was a couple times where I had the thing in my crosshairs. And um, and that's like. I don't know, man. I just can't make the call. Like, you know, you can do it if you want, basically kind of thing. And I, you know, I wanted to be on the same page. If we had, if we had shot the thing, both of us, if, if we'd been on the same page and we both made a mistake, there's a cow, I could live with that. If I had shot it with him saying maybe, and I just kind of went for it and it was a cow, I would have felt really bad. So I just decided, you know, it wasn't easy, but you know, I just decided I didn't want to shoot if we weren't a hundred percent on the same page and, and at least, at least both thinking that it was a male. So we don't know for sure in the end, but that's not true. When that thing was running away, I saw its balls. Okay. Well, it was, a, it was, <laughs> it was a small bull. I, the, the, I like to tell myself we're not sure the it helps me sleep at night. The entirety of that encounter until the last 10 seconds, it looked identical to the situation in which right. catastrophe struck. It was just the exact yeah. same thing. Like, oh, man, I think I see a penis sheath, but I'm not quite sure. Yeah. Oh, God, I don't know. Uh, can't quite tell. Antlers are small. Should be bigger if its body is that size, <laughs> if it is a one-and-a-half-year-old bull. But but then, like, right at the end, it turned. So, I was like, oh, Well, God. to put a nice bow on the whole crappy situation – I just like to say we made the responsible choice as responsible outdoorsmen, sportsmen. We weren't sure, so we didn't shoot. So anyway, um, then I had to make the awful walk back to camp, which, when my adrenaline was flowing and I was sprinting downhill, seemed like nothing. <laughs> when I'm coming back, it was pretty bad, especially after like already having like a ten plus mile day with pretty good ele elevation climb that same day. Um, so anyway. But that was when you found your shed. That is when I found my shed, and I'll post a picture. And if you see our podcast logo, there's a caribou shed on the logo, and it's an actual 
animated rendering of the actual shed I found on that trip. Um, it's kind of iconic, I guess, for me, just symbolizing my first trip into Alaska and first backpack hunting trip. So check out the logo. That's the actual did, shed I found. Did we come to a determination about whether we found a matched pair? I don't think we did. It's possible. I, they're I think very close. Bigger. I if, think yours is a little bigger. If they're not a matched pair, they are very similar. And okay. do not have symmetrical antlers. Well, how about this? I'm going to post on our story side by sides of both sheds, and we will let yeah, the listeners dude. decide. Let's, let's see what the let's see. There probably are some people. Pair or not. There probably will be some people listening who know way the hell more about this than I do, or you know, yeah. and can maybe provide some clarity to the thing. I so think it very story. well could be a match shed if they're a few hundred yards away from each other. It could be. And look pretty similar in terms of their aging. Yeah. It's like quite possible anyway. Yeah. But either either way, we both found pretty badass, like full size bull caribou sheds. Yeah, we did. And which is pretty sweet. Yeah. We'll talk about that too. But people do trips just for that, dude. Bring them home. Yeah. Um <laughs> so yeah, so then after that, it's I'll be honest with you. It was a little hard to sleep that night after that close encounter. And, but you know, you shake it off just like with any hunting experience, we've all had those. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. It wasn't hard for me to sleep, dude. I knew there was going to be a big bull <laughs> charging right over that same ridge the next day. Yeah. So anyway, so we found our sheds and, um, let's see, we went to bed Next day, woke up and uh, kind of hit it early, glassing, and uh, saw more animals. Saw several sets of cows and calves. But remember, that was also Friday. Yes. Yeah, so that's when. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's yeah. When it started getting. That's when. Yeah. That... And I kind of like in the back of my head, like I always plan my trips for weekdays. Yeah. And in different environments, different places you kind of never know how much of an impact the weekend pressure is going to have on stuff. But in this case, it started getting yeah. a little weird. We started hearing a lot of gunshots. <laughs> and and then also the <clears throat> the ridge that I was up on, like having a religious experience, like thinking like probably no one had been up there for like a couple hundred years or something. Like I look up there and there's like, literally like six dudes up there with an atv oh <laughs> that became a traffic jam yeah at the top of that ridge yeah we saw multiple guys up there i think it helped us out a little bit that we had our tents up and kind of like yeah. claiming you, that area in, in this specific area you have to have neon tents demarcating yeah like for safety do not shoot near here yeah <laughs> yeah and we kind of had a nice little area even with the pressure we still had a nice no that was the best yeah. possible spot we like that ridge cut us off the we were, we were like halfway up this ridge it was like a peninsula peninsula on the side of like like you said it dropped down to these canyons and of rivers from like from the canyon edge where the spruces started getting super thick to the top of the ridge was probably i would guess at least 2500 maybe 3000 feet of elevation yeah maybe more and we were like halfway up that so we basically had like this peninsula to ourselves yeah. that was probably a mile long. Yeah. Two two miles. And that pen- mile. at the end of that peninsula is where we had that encounter where we almost shot that little bull. Yep. But um anyway, so we had some pressure showing up, but which we actually, you know, we kind of took that in stride. We were like, man, maybe it'll push the animals around. Maybe yeah. it'll get them moving. Yeah. 
for sure. Which is a very real phenomenon sometimes. Like, you know, sometimes it might not be the picture that everyone has in their mind of backcountry hunting to have a totally wild animal just wander into camp. Yeah. But sometimes you got to take it if another group pushes a herd of animals towards you. Yeah. That's what we were hoping for. Yep. And so this day, you know, I was coming off that close encounter and uh, really, really wanted to fill my tag. And um, again, I got pictures of all this stuff you guys can check out. Um, but I just decided, dude, like, I am not gonna stop it was coming to the end of the hunt and i was like i'm gonna sit out here all freaking day i'm like if there's an animal in this area i'm going to capitalize i had to use every bit of time i had left to try to fill my tag so i'm sitting out here literally i sat in this glassing spot not exaggerating i sat there for eight hours and then ned's like there's more than that maybe and like i'm starting <laughs> to get like literally like fried from like the constant like the I was, wind. I was telling Hunter, I was like, I was like, dude, I'm going to relieve you right now. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you if an animal comes out here and you can whack. Yeah. Like, I don't even like. I am relieving you. You yeah. need to go into your tent and like rest your eyes. Yeah. Okay. I was like, no. Anyone, no. anyone who's done this, like, you can glass for long enough that you like go stir crazy. Oh yeah. And your eyes do get fatigued looking oh, through yeah. binos for that long. Not to mention the fact that we probably had a consistent 20 mile an hour direct headwind in oh, the direction yeah. that Hunter was glassing. Yeah, I was just getting <laughs> plastered in the face with constant yeah. wind, and it was really sunny. And so I was getting sunburned, wind burned, literally for eight hours. I just did not want to give it up. Finally, I relented and took Ned's advice, and I went into my tent and rested for about an hour I wasn't able to sleep because the wind was just like really shaking my tent hard, but, um, did get in there and rest a little bit. Um, I got pictures. I look like I just got out of a fight pretty much. Um, and then about an hour later, Ned was like, so I think I saw some, this is the hike we were talking about earlier. Like, I think I saw some like over this ridge and I was like, yeah, that ridge. And he was like, no, no, the next one. I was like, that ridge? And he was like, no, no, the one after that. <laughs> I was well, like, that ridge? <laughs> to be to be clear, this was a pattern of animal movement that, it, that I had established on this ridge. <laughs> I, I had my spotter out there, and I kept seeing like twos and threes of cows and calves over there. And I was like, okay, there's movement going on there. And then... How far do you think it was over there? To the area where I actually saw them would have been another two miles from where we went. And I think we went about three and a half miles yeah so it would have been five and a half yeah. six miles and to again the these are not plateau. easy miles these are oh. side hilling tundra, side hilling through tundra alders. and alders man it i mean on the every, back end of our trip too we're fatigued already everybody always tries to make some kind of like everybody always tries to make some kind of equation between how many flat miles uh, five tundra miles or however many tundra miles are like some kind of equation between tundra distance and flat distance. And I just think it's so different. There's no way to, but suffice it to say that five miles across the tundra like that is yeah. many, many, many times harder than walking with a 40 pound pack across the ground. Oh yeah. Oh, so it, yeah. Was, it was, it was, it was a hell of a hike, but 
like I'd seen a bunch of cows over there. And right before we went, while you were in your tent, I was like, I'm pretty sure I see a bull on that far side. Yeah. And so it was like, dude, whatever. Like Hunter was saying, man, last last few days, kind of bottom of the ninth. Yeah. At this point, like you're ready to throw some flea flickers and just put it all on the line. Yeah. And so we um, did. And that's that's the the hike that I was talking about earlier, where you know the whole time I was kind of like really trying to protect my feet and like sort of like thinking about my feet a lot. And this was I was just like, you know what, my feet hurt, but I don't care. Like screw it, I'm just gonna keep putting one foot in front of the other. I'm on this mountain in Alaska. Like, this is freaking awesome. I'm just going to enjoy this. Like, screw my feet. I don't even care anymore, you know? The wind was taking it out of me a little bit, but whatever. We, we had fun and had a nice little hike Dude, there. And we actually got to see the area, the plateau, where I had originally intended for us to go, which would have been, if we had gotten animals down there. Oh, dude. <laughs> that would have been. Hellacious. We would have, we would have been doing... 20 tundra miles probably of packing i mean it the the only way that that could have been like we we could have really hurt ourselves oh yeah during that pack job if like one of the atv dudes hadn't taken mercy on us and just given us a ride back with the meat if we had gotten animals down at that original plateau that i had like i mean anybody who's done western hunts listen to this knows you pull up your onyx and you're like uh i'll follow this ridge i'll hop over that little thing i'll go there uh no that's not very far i'm gonna keep going after Uh, that and then you get on the ground and you're like ooh, (laughs) and like you know it doesn't really matter how tough you think you are it doesn't really matter how masochistic you think you are at some point you arrive at the pragmatic realities that like Dude, I'm not going to be able to keep the meat in good condition right. if I have to pack it out that far. I am potentially going to physically hurt myself, yeah. put myself in a dangerous situation if I got to do 20 miles over the tundra to take two loads of meat yeah. out from somewhere. Yeah, I mean, it, even in the the spot we were, even with it one still carib- would have been yeah. a hell of a long and, way. Yeah, and even with one <laughs> caribou, it would have been a lot of work. Two, it would have been pretty crazy um you just get to the reality at some point man you're like you're like look with a day left in the trip like we would we would be worried about getting our flights if we got two animals down back at that area where we end up going on this hike that you're talking about it would have been like okay now we got two more days of packing i would have literally i literally would have begged one of the i would have like offered to pay one of the atv guys to pack it out like that would have been that would have been like the only way i mean People, for comparison, people doing moose hunts and backcountry caribou hunts, like if they shoot an animal way back there, like your your radius that you can shoot an animal starts decreasing the later you are in the hunt. Yeah. To the point that like by the last day of a moose hunt, if you go with a guided outfit, they won't let you shoot one more than like a thousand yards from camp because it would just screw your timetable up too much. You'd have to spend two days packing that thing. Right. You know? So it was it was real. So um, yeah, we we hit that. <laughs> maybe it was some kind of weird mercy. Um, but then uh, let's see. I guess that was the last night. And yeah, I remember. Man, I remember that last night. I got a picture here. It's like eleven o'clock at night. I mean, we had like I said, I'd I'd put in at least ten, twelve hours probably glassing because you have so much daylight. Uh, that time of year and then you know some legitimate miles 
And I did not want to close that tent door, but at some point you just got to, but it was tough, man. Cause that was the culmination of months of preparation. You know, thank the Lord. Uh, I'm going to be going back to Alaska soon, which is something we'll hit on real quick, but I didn't know when I'd be getting back. Um, and it was tough to close that tent door in the last night. Yeah. I mean, really what it came down to is <laughs> like, I saw that weekend coming on the calendar and I was like, Oh God, I know it's just going to get yeah. real weird. And it did. There were just, there were just ATVs ripping all around. I mean, through the spotting scope, I watched some guy shooting at an animal that was like pretty close to another group of hunters, <laughs> Yeah, you know, just offhand, like not rested on anything. He's just standing, just sending rounds at these animals. <laughs> and I like, at that point it was like, Oh God, this is, it's going to be a little bit of a nightmare. And the animals sense that too. Like for the first two days that we were in this second spot, we were consistently seeing animals glassing. Yeah. And then as soon as Friday rolled around, it was like everything went to ground. Yeah. Like we didn't, the only animals that we saw were those ones that I saw through the spotter that were like super far, like another, uh, you know, we we're probably four or five miles back another five six miles from where we like yeah. way the hell in a really close to inaccessible area yeah so like once the pressure started that was just the way they went man animals weren't moving yeah and so we decided that the fat lady was warming up the vocal cords and it was time to start packing up camp well we knew that there were, we knew that with how weird stuff was there's a chance there's a chance. There's a chance. She was that. she was warming up, but she wasn't out on stage right. yet. We knew that's right. We knew that there's always a chance that you could uh, run into something on the way back. And we did. So we're hiking back, <laughs> and we saw a couple like I don't know, 50 yards from where we'd broken camp. A couple ran past us, and then we got to that kind of last ridge before we were about to circle. Anyway, we, we saw we, some more coming. We were probably three-fourths of the way back yeah by this point we were like we were like getting ready to take the packs off and you know getting ready to just drop all our stuff we we're like all right we're almost yeah. there and we're on the side of this hill like on a pretty sheer face of scree and i look down and <laughs> i see these i see these three animals yeah, that are kind of trotting up the base of this i guess valley yeah. that came up alongside the mountain that we were on and, and i was this like is the first valley where we saw the first atv yeah like, actually right near the road actually these animals walked right by an atv yeah. that was unattended by its owner yeah. <laughs> they walked probably within 100 yards yeah. of this just parked atv sitting there and I, I was looking at them and i was like hunter i think those things are gonna walk right by us man drop but your pack at this point they were like <laughs> Eight, nine hundred, maybe a thousand yards. They're away. way out there, but you could see they were on a yeah. game trail that came. Right, animals in Alaska follow game trails like mechanically, like a train follows a set of tracks. A lot of times, you know, they will deviate, of course, but if they're on a solid game trail, and I've, I followed this one, like you trace out a wire, like to where it goes, and sure enough, it came like right by where we were, and I was like, dude, let's drop our packs, let's get into a place where we can take advantage of this, yeah. and I'm like. It's the same damn story of non-resident Alaska caribou, dude. We're yeah. looking at these things, trying but to hold figure on. out. So before this, like we're we're having a yard sale, like throwing oh, gear yeah. out of our, like just oh, yeah. ripping stuff out of our pack because we're like in get back home mode. 
and like he's ripping out the thing trying to get the the spotting scope so we can yep. look for because I, I knew that we were gonna need to do the same yeah. microscope procedure of looking for a sack and i'm getting i get my rifle out i like sprint down a couple oh, i don't know maybe a couple hundred feet and get prone yeah we're sitting in the middle of this scree field and at this point we've jettisoned like hunter said yard sale jettisoned yeah. everything i've like torn my pack open <laughs> grabbed the spotter and the tripod binos yeah. you know because i know that this is like the last opportunity to get hunter to punch his tag i'm like dude this could be it though yeah and like hunter's got his rifle i've got my spotter and the tripod and we're just like sitting there waiting and we watch these animals and they just walk right dude up to us like two 20 yards to within spitball range i keep watching them get closer and closer and eventually i've got my spotter backed all the way out its minimum magnification is 16 times and at the minimum magnification i'm looking at this thing and like all i can see is just like fur through the spot like this thing is so so close. close you could have probably killed it with a rock no yeah <laughs> was, I, I legitimately right had the there. thing in my crosshairs at 30 yards it was less than 30 yards dude yeah the last animal <laughs> it was la- so close yeah the last animal was questionable again there there are three of them they're looking at us and like they're following this game trail and they get up and they're like those are some weird looking rocks yeah and and hunter and i are looking at these and by this point i've abandoned the spotter they're so close i'm looking through my 10x binos and two of them are definitely cows. The third one is like maybe at at this point, I can I will say with ninety percent certainty that it was a bull with undescended testicles. It was so young. <laughs> it was a which I would have gladly killed. Yeah, <laughs> it, but like this is I now this is this now point. the second time that I have been dragged through this like mental dick dance of ptsd (laughs) where i'm like looking at these things and i'm like i know in my head that that is a penis sheath i know it i see it it is 20 yards away and then i transport myself back to the last caribou hunt and just like walking up onto this animal with milk dripping out of its udders and i'm like just wanting to like puke and like and so so i'm like oh dude Oh, uh, God, I don't know. I mean, I can literally see the details in this thing's mouth and eyes. It's so close. But oh, you, can, you can see the sun sunlight reflecting off its eyelashes. Yeah, like it was so close. <laughs> but anyway, we again decided to do the responsible thing. We didn't know for sure, so we didn't shoot. And it's a good thing, too, because we saw a game warden almost immediately after we walked out. And um, we ended up following the game warden um, and talking to him. Pulled out another just kind of fourth quarter, just Hail Mary. He he gave us some intel on another area. Had a couple hours before we had to really get back. So we, we you know, bombed into this other area, spent a couple hours glassing. But it was it was just really a, a last resort and didn't see anything and, and decided to call it and head out. Um, but, man, it was just such an awesome adventure. Learned so much about myself, what I'm capable of. Learned so much about the practicalities of backpack hunting, the ins and out of gear, um, the logistics of it, uh, even down to sighting and rifles, shooting rifles. Um, and, you know, if you guys have any questions about gear or specifics, logistics, any of that stuff, please DM me on Instagram at Hunter's Quest underscore. I'd be happy to, um, you know, help you out with questions there. 
because um, this trip is accessible even if you can't afford the three three grand uh, for the air transporter if you can that can help your success but if you can't it's still accessible you can do it on foot and on a pretty decent budget so you know send me your questions we'd be happy to talk about those um there is um one kind of big topic i still want to hit on real quick with ned which is you know if you listen to the first episode i want to use this podcast to talk a little bit about spirituality and, you know, some of my guests are in different places, you know, in their spirituality or whatnot. Um, so we won't go too, probably too heavily into it in this first one, cause it's more of kind of a hunt recap and stuff. But, uh, we had some good conversations out in the field about it. And for me, I really actually relied heavily on my faith during this trip because, um, there, like I said, these trips are awesome. They're fun. They're an adventure, but they're as like Steve Rinella from mediator says they're type two fun, which is like the type of fun where sometimes in the moment it kind of sucks, but like looking back, it's, it's like real fun. It's not like cheap fun, like a roller coaster. So, but in that, like there's some times when it's, you're not like all smiles and having a great time. Like to be honest that, you know, there's a couple of times I can remember, you know, being in my tent, you know, maybe it was the visibility was too bad or it was raining really hard. Um, like overall, we had great weather, but there were a couple times where, and you'll find this out if you're hunting Alaska, there's some times where you just got to crawl in your tent that just for preservation of gear, yourself, whatever. Um, so you crawl in your tent, you know, like I said, I got, I got two small kids at home and, um, yeah, sometimes you get like a little homesick or, um, or you're like, man, what am I doing out here? Like I'm sitting inside of a tent in the middle of nowhere, like my kid, you know, just all those things running through your mind. Um, it, it really is. That's part of the mental toughness of it too. But that's where I fell back on my faith. And one of the best things I did for me personally was I brought this tiny little Bible with me. Um, and it's a source of strength for me, you know, reading God's word. And I, you know, when I had those down moments, you know, it might sound cheesy or whatever, but I would go into Psalms uh, or even Matthew and I really found real like tangible um, comfort and peace there and um, it has some really cool moments with that. And so that's, that's one way that, um, you know, my faith really helped me through this as I was in those down, those kind of low moments, you know, maybe missing home, feeling a little discouraged or whatnot. I could pull out my, my little pocket Bible there in my tent and um, man, it really made a big difference for me, but um, I know Ned, we had a couple of conversations about, about God and stuff out there. And, um, and you're saying you kind of, uh, you've seen God the most in your life in through nature, right? Yeah, man. I, I think it's pretty tough not to have some kind of spiritual experience when you're in a place like that. Yeah. Um, really no matter where you fall on the spectrum in terms of how spiritual and or religious you are, whichever term you want to use. <laughs> place like alaska is really tough not to see like how badass god's creation is and not to feel spiritually connected yeah i mean you know you want to talk about the best kind of meditation and spiritual connection in the world getting out there getting away from all the bs that you have to navigate on a daily basis in modern society you know it's uh it's a great way to center yourself, man. Yeah. And I, I think I mentioned it to you before, too. It's something I touched on in my intro episode, too. But um, I think we talked about, like, that almost, like, 
sad feeling you get, or at least I've experienced when I like look into the mountains or something. And I kind of feel like it's maybe a desire for like deeper connection with nature or like you want to be a part of it. It's, it's almost like you realized you can only really scratch the surface of it or something. Do you ever get that? Oh, for sure, man. Cause you know, like for me, when you're like, when we pulled up to the first area we went, like you see it finally and you've been like dreaming for months about getting to go back and check it out. And it's like simultaneously you're struck by like how amazingly beautiful it is and like all of the potential that there is and like all of these badass experiences that you're about to have. But you also know that like you're never going to be able to experience it all. And like you wish that you would be yeah. able to take in even more than mm -hmm. what your time is going to allow you. And yeah, it is kind of like a, uh, it's kind of like a holistic mental experience where you like check yourself and you're like, okay, here's where I am. I have to enjoy this time. I have to be thankful for the opportunity that I've been given. And, you know, I, I like, I gotta, I gotta just know that like I am finite in, yeah. especially in a place like Alaska, a really infinite environment. And, yeah. uh, yeah, man, I just, I think, I think it's real tough not to have some kind of spiritual connection out there. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of got to live in the moment and just like enjoy what you got right then. And yeah, we came out of this trip. We didn't fill our tags, but man, like I wouldn't trade this trip for anything. Like this trip made me a better hunter. It made me a better human. It made me a better man. Like literally, um, this trip catapulted me into another arena of hunting, of fitness, um, like of spirituality. Um, and, and even like this podcast you're listening to right now would not be happening if I had not taken this trip to Alaska. Um, it just opened my eyes to an entirely new world of hunting. Like I said, I've been hunting since I was a little kid. But it's almost like this last year, it's been a rebirth of like a whole new, it's like I started hunting again from nothing because it's just a whole new world once you get into the possibilities. So um, super thankful that me and Ned connected and um, he was willing to teach me along the way. And and um, and we got another adventure coming up here, but real quick, just to re just to tie up the trip. So we came back after that um went to what was that place called in fairbanks the restaurant yeah i'm trying to remember china river pump house yes go there shout out to the folks there man yeah. that's that's a great spot a lot of a lot of hunters have celebrated victory and defeat within the walls of china <laughs> yeah. river pump house whether you notch your tag or not when you crawl out of the back country go to that place we had some amazing crab legs there's some awesome mounts up on the wall in there and um we end up staying in this weird little like hippie like <laughs> commune. Yeah. We stayed in a commune. We dude. came to this place and like they <laughs> like to check in. We got our Airbnb there and like they were so confused like that we were <laughs> like they're like they had no were lost. idea. <laughs> yeah, they were lost. And um uh, actually had a really cool uh, um encounter with the guy there and ended up sharing the gospel with him and praying with him and um, had a really cool conversation with him. And he ended up like, he was crying. Um, so that was cool to be able to kind of cap the trip off with, um, with telling that guy about Jesus. But 
you should see this picture of me the morning <laughs> after uh we got out of the back country literally my eyes are like swollen so much like it looks like i got in a fight like when i facetimed my wife she was like what happened to you if i if i were going to verbally describe this picture <laughs> then it would uh create a different category of rating for this podcast in terms of the audience for which it's appropriate <laughs> yeah it looks like it just got beaten in the eyes like it's I, my face is all swollen but <laughs> Oh uh, man, then we just hung out and uh, pretty much just killed time till the end of the caught trip. Caught a few grayling. Did we? Did we catch any? Yeah, remember I caught a few grayling. Oh yeah, in Ned a, caught a, little, a grayling in a in a little river uh, on you know in suburban Fairbanks. Yeah. Um, I guess, man, my recap for this trip, I would just say like we knew that this was going to be an extremely difficult trip yeah. in the best case scenario. I remember and when you first told me about the trip, like when we first talked, <laughs> you're like, I was like, so like I'm in pretty good shape. I'm not. And you was like, eh, it's not going to be that bad. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Was downplaying I had to, first, I had to, I had to lull you into a sense yeah. of security, man. Cause I knew that you were one of the candidates that falls in the middle of that Venn diagram. Yeah. I was like, I got to harvest this guy. <laughs> All right. So anyway, go ahead. Uh, no, nah, man, like we knew it was going to be an extremely difficult trip. And like ultimately, if you are packing in to hunt caribou, you're at the mercy of where the herd is. Yeah. You know, and like we successfully got into a bunch of different great places for him and the herds just weren't there. Yeah. Like we saw a few little like we saw we saw the tail end of one of the herds at the second part that we went to. And we had a few like marginal shots on marginal animals, but like, you know, we just didn't end up hitting it right. Uh, which is something that you risk whether you fly in or walk in. Yeah. Actually the first, first caribou trip that I did in 28. Well, actually it was the second caribou trip that I did first caribou trip that I did where I shot a bull in 2018, you know, like I'm, Gripping and grinning and loving life. Shot a nice bull caribou that I was just thrilled beyond belief with. And we were talking with the guy. I got the guy's information, the group of guys that flew in after us. There were six of them. They never saw anything but a cow and a wow. calf the whole time. And yeah. they, like, did the whole deal of yeah. flying up onto the north slope, flying in, sitting in tents for a week. And they never even saw a small bull. So, Jeez. like caribou it can happen you're at the mercy of the migration and in this case like we found some badass areas we successfully got into them you know we saw some awesome habitat we saw some animals yeah and we just didn't happen to hit the migration right and like you said man it was an awesome trip anyway 10 out of 10 times would do that again yeah it was a success it was was the exact same thing like Alaska is just so incredible, dude. I, I'm just, I'm just such a fanboy of everything about that place, man. It's like, it's just unbelievable. That's like amazing. getting to spend time in the backcountry up in Alaska is just like the greatest gift that anyone could ask for. Yeah, it, you owe yourself, like, scrimp safe. Do whatever you gotta do. You know, do it on a budget like we did it. Just get up there and do it. Um, another good idea for a first trip to Alaska, which. Uh, is a perfect segue into this last thing I want to talk about um, is um, my wife for Christmas secretly conspired with Ned and got me a got Well, got me on board with Ned for this bush flight uh, into Kodiak uh, this coming August. We're going to do a um, Sitka black Sitka blacktail deer slash 
um, caribou combo kind of thing on Kodiak. And uh, super looking forward to that. Just so, want to be clear. This was not my idea. I was simply facilitating. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, think- I was I was like, I was like, hey, I'm doing this hunt. And Hunter's wife was like, can you get him a spot? And I was like, well, yeah, I can <laughs> Wait, if he wants to. Let, so <laughs> let me start from the beginning. I want to get the story from Ned's perspective. Yeah. Um, because, I don't know, about three weeks ago, we're recording this right after Christmas. About three weeks ago. I I knew Ned was I mean you pretty much go to Alaska every year, right? I I yeah, I have to, dude. Yeah. It's too sick. <laughs> Can't miss it. So, I knew Ned was going um we and and I just literally had assumed that like there's no way my wife would let me go back-to-back years to Alaska. So, I didn't even really ask. But then like, I don't know, 3 weeks ago, I was just like, you know what? Let me just like throw it out there. Like, who knows. So, I texted her. I was like, "Hey, so uh what if I like went to Alaska again?" And I was surprised I was not immediately shot down. So I was like, okay. And then uh, came home and she asked me like, you know, if you could have anything for Christmas, what would you have? I was like, I mean, probably go back to Alaska is what I would ask for. And she was like, really? And then, and then she started telling me that she had something better planned and had something cooked up. Um, just kind of throwing me off the trail. But anyway, from your perspective, how did that go down? <laughs> well, Hunter's wife, I mean, Santa of the year, to be sure. No joke. Uh, she hit me up, and uh, she was like, hey, so I just totally shut Hunter down. And he's, like, really sad and dejected <laughs> about this, that he can't go to Alaska. But uh, we're actually going to tell him on Christmas that he can go. And I was like, okay, cool. Uh, so I'm doing this trip that is different than the one that we did last time. And I got to make sure that this is one that Hunter actually wants to go on. And she was like, nah, he'll want to go. It's all right. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I, I think so, but I want to make sure so, yeah. that, so that he's not like roped into something that he doesn't want to. Yeah. I was you know, super and, scared. And, Cause and she then told I'm like, me, well, she told me that like, she had something planned for me. This is what she said. I have something planned for you. It's better than Alaska. It's a hunting trip. It's a multi-day big game hunting trip with somebody. And I'm like, what? Like, you know, I'm thinking like draws and like preference points. Like, there's no way you're going to be able to pull this off. It's like, she could have gotten you like a private landowner tag somewhere. Yeah. Or like, I was thinking maybe like Texas, like, you know, some kind of ranch or something. Emily, if you're listening to me, I'd like a unit 16 (laughs) Bravo Gila elk tag. (laughs) So, um, and then I was like, I don't know, maybe, maybe she's, I'm like, that's a super personal thing. That's like buying someone a car, not knowing what kind of car they like. You <laughs> yeah. know, like I was oh, super scared. Dude, it's more personal oh, than a car. Way more. Yeah. Oh yeah. Way yeah. more. I was super <laughs> scared. She had me like, out, and I was like, babe, like, what if, what if I don't like it? Like, I wish you would talk to me. She's like, no, you will. I promise. And I was like, man, like, and so she was trying to throw me off and I was super scared. It was going to be some hunt that I don't even want to do. Dude. And so I'm like, I'm like trying to slip Hunter these hints. I'm like, uh, ha, ha, yeah, man, whatever it is, it'll be cool. By the Dude, way, you were good at it, lying. I was, I was like surprised. Like oh, literally for, I, for an Eagle scout. I, uh, I took my little choir boy hat off there and yeah, lied no. like hell for a few weeks. Cause eventually I was like, dude, there's no way she pulled. I was like, she uh, has to be working with Ned. And then I was like, wait a second. I was trying not to make it too obvious, but I was also trying to like slip hints. I was like, yeah, your trip's going to be sick. But if you could yeah. go, I'm going on this trip. And would you like to? No, you played it really good. I had no idea. And then also I stole my wife's phone and like searched 
for if she had your number saved. Yeah. But she saved your number under one of her friend's names. All right. That is some trade craft. Yeah. <laughs> so Good I on had her, no man. idea. And then that so, is that is just super solid. Yeah, I had no idea. And so wake up Christmas morning um, and I was kind of nervous, like because in my back of my head, I'm like, I want to go to Alaska. I don't want to do whatever she's got going. And then <laughs> open up her thing. And lo and behold, she's been working with Ned and we're going to Kodiak. Dude, Kodiak Island is the rowdiest place I've ever been. That's amazing. I you you you. you there's no way to be disappointed, man. It, like, unless we, like I said, unless we happen to time it to coincide with like a Pacific typhoon and we're just <laughs> weathered out the entire time, Kodiak is so sick. Oh, yeah. It is so sick, dude. There, uh, like I said, there literally were mountain goats. We, when we were flying in on our approach on our way back last time, there was a herd of mountain goats feeding. No joke. Like, I mean, they had to have been within a mile of walmart <laughs> it was like a hurt and, and like we're flying over and i mean i don't know they, they were close they were it was like within a very short period of time we were flying right over the town of kodiak yeah. and like our pilot's like oh that's pretty pretty nice looking herd of goats right there might have to go check that one out later yeah and so this is this it's is just a trip so sick i haven't done it obviously ned has done it successfully and from what of the research i've done um, and just looking into it, it's something that's a little more approachable probably than caribou just because of the cost uh, difference associated, you know, um, and you can buy multiple tags for the black-tailed deer. There are, um, they call them, well, they call, they're classified caribou. Technically, they're feral reindeer, but basically caribou on Kodiak, so you can do a combo hunt. Um, there's great fishing around there, and so it sounds like it's going to be an awesome time. I'm really looking forward to it, and, of course, you know, in the coming months we'll do another episode about kodiak i'm sure and um but yeah super looking forward to that man and we're both going to be able to do not together but we also both have antelope uh gigs in are you going to wyoming too absolutely so we're both doing uh wyoming antelope in october i'll be somewhere on a one point unit and uh if you listen to this right now and you are knowledgeable about one point antelope units please dm me i'd love to pick your brain um <laughs> or seriously. if you know anything about four point antelope <laughs> units by the way yeah so anyway but yeah if you, seriously though if you if you know about pronghorn units and you want to share some of your knowledge we would love to talk to you so dm me at hunter's quest underscore um and yeah so i mean anything else you want to say before you go man it's been a good long conversation but yeah uh i mean it's just an awesome trip you know, yeah. it was a great, great way to get up there and see everything interior Alaska had to offer. You know, like I said, we knew it was going to be super tough under the best case of circumstances. And I think we did damn well for ourselves, man. We did. We, we had did. we had a great time. Yeah. Saw some incredible stuff. Uh, you know, that's what it's all about. And like, yeah, definitely made me want to go back and punch caribou tags sometime oh for sure you know, that's i'm definitely going back <laughs> yeah. at some point for that it has to happen man. Um, but it literally was a life-changing trip for me it, it was just incredible yeah. it was like i mean all of those places that we went to every single place was just awesome and breathtaking yeah. and like i i mean it's you know like i like i said man i can't miss a year of that yeah it's it's just too cool just do to yourself do. a favor take the plunge book a trip Something, you know, start small. Like if you're just entering, you know, 
like I said, I, I did this too. Start small. You can go somewhere in state, you know, whatever, but go to Alaska, man. Um, there are accessible hunts you can do. Um, you know, I wouldn't go up there with zero experience on your own, although you can, um, get somebody that knows what they're doing a little bit, but if you're in the position to do so, book yourself a trip to Alaska and just don't look back and you will have fun all year training, buying gear, <laughs> researching stuff. Um, literally my, basically almost all of 2020, was just like looking forward to this trip and it was life changing. Like I said, it, it had implications on my entire life. This listening to this podcast right now is due to this trip and, um, just do it. Just get up there and do it. If there were such thing as a MIP for the outdoors award, probably be Hunter McWaters. Oh, thanks. Man. <laughs> that guy, that guy went from, uh, that guy went from like, oh yeah, you know, I got this 30 out six. I think it shoots all right to like, <laughs> you know, putting all of his stuff together and getting into like really fantastic backcountry shape, crushing every aspect of the prep. Um, yeah, man, it was, I, I mean, that. it was, it was, it was a blast just as much getting ready for the trip. Uh, it and was. yeah, it, it ended up being awesome. We, you know, we got everything done that we wanted to get done. Yeah. Um, it, you know, minus the pulling the trigger part, like we, we stalked within 15 yards of a herd of caribou. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we, we saw a bunch of animals, saw some incredible stuff. It, you know, it yeah, was man. fantastic. It was, it was awesome. So do it. Get you a good buddy. Do it. Uh, make sure you go unprepared. And uh, if you have any questions, again, about anything, gear, strategies, whatever, uh, drop us a line. And uh, we'll be happy to, to answer those. And But, yeah, thanks for listening. And we'll, uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks again for listening to Hunter's Quest Podcast. And make sure you stay up to date on Instagram at huntersquest underscore with pictures and videos from the stories we tell here and just my day-to-day, as well as stuff from the awesome guests we're going to be having on here. I'm also more than happy to answer any questions you guys might have, whether it's about hunting or spiritual stuff or fitness or gear. Also, if you like what you hear and you want to stay on this journey with me, please hit that subscribe button and leave me a review. It helps me out big time. So yeah, shoot me a message anytime, and I'm looking forward to hearing from you and continuing this quest together.